Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful. Lord, your word speaks to us. It corrects us. It shows us how to live. It shows us who you are. And so, God, this morning, I ask for your help in speaking your word, not my own. I ask that your spirit would work in all of our hearts this morning. As we read your word, as we study your word. And may we, may we have the courage to let it change us. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday nights, we've been uh, going through the book of Malachi. Uh, everybody knows the book of Malachi, right? That's the first thing you turn to when you wake up in the morning to read your Bible, right? No, it's not necessarily the most popular book in the Bible, um, but, but it's a good one. They're all good, right? I mean, um, the book of Malachi is like the biggest parent-teenager fight you'll ever read. It follows this pattern of God accusing his children, Israel, God accusing them of doing something wrong and them denying it. God says, I saw you do that. And they say, no, no I didn't do it. And, uh, and God says, yeah, I saw you do it. I've got the video of it. You, know, you, you put it on YouTube. Uh, you can't deny it. I, I have so many teenagers who put stuff on their Facebook page, and then when I ask them about it, they say, oh, no, I didn't do that. And then the next day it's gone. Uh, right? Uh, a quick, quick overview of the book of Malachi, uh, just some of these accusations that God makes against them. In chapter 1, verse 2, you don't have to turn to all of these, but uh, God, says, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? All right, so that's the first one. The second one, chapter 1, verse 6. God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? We didn't do that. And then he goes on to explain to them how they've done it. They were bringing poor offerings. Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness. He saw it. He was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? You'd think they'd catch on to it by now that everything that God accuses them of, they are actually guilty of. But they live in denial. Chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And finally, verse 13 of chapter 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Do you see the pattern? The arguing? 
this conversation that God's trying to have with them, but they keep living in denial. Some of you say, that's my house, right? Why didn't I read this book a long time ago? We have come to the, old, the end of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And we see God's final words to his people through his prophet Malachi. After this book, there's going to be 400 years of silence. There's going to be no more revelation. No more prophets are going to come to the people of Israel for 400 years. What would you say to someone if you knew you weren't going to talk to them for a long time? A lot of parents are sending their kids off to college. What do you say to your child when you leave them at the school? Be good, right? Every time I, I leave my mom's house, she says, be good. You know? It's just something that parents do. And in the same way, God is going to kind of leave that message for the Israelites. And it's interesting what God chooses to focus on. We have come to the very last verses, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And I will read them. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The first thing he tells them to do is remember. Remember what? Remember the law of my servant Moses, which God gave him. So he's telling them to remember the word of God. Because remember, there's going to be a 400-year break here. God knows that, but they don't know that. He's telling them, remember the word of God. He's commanding them to remember the word of God. Why? Because they had already forgotten it. They had already neglected it. They had already disregarded it and treated it as a common thing. And to jump straight into some application here, this can happen to us, right? We can, uh, we, we disregard the Bible. We, we don't think it's that important. We know we should, but we don't really do it. And, uh, and then because it's not that important to us, we neglect it. And when we neglect it, we don't have it in our head, so we forget it because it's not fresh, right? And as we have seen throughout this book, the people had already started to disobey God and doubt his goodness because they had not remembered his commands and his love for them. We go back to the list of complaints that God has made against them. When the people forgot God's word, they started to say and do things that dishonored God. They started to rob God. They started to talk about God as if he supported evil and did not answer their prayers. They accused God of letting the guilty get away with murder. 
They started to bring sacrifices that were lame, literally and figuratively. They would bring goats that only had three legs, you know. They were supposed to bring the very best animal for their sacrifices, but their standards had gone down. They had forgotten the standard that God had set. They started divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women, unbelieving women. They started, as we saw in verse 2 of chapter 1, they even started to doubt that God loved them. When you forget the word of God, or you think it is unimportant, or that you, you've already mastered everything, and you don't need to read your Bible, you are destined to fall into these types of sins. Why? Because you have lost the foundation for how you know who God is, what his character is like, his unchanging character. You have lost that, and you have lost what he has told you to do, how he has told you to live. You end up doing things that you never thought you'd do. You end up having an affair. You end up having a relationship with someone who doesn't know God and doesn't love God. You end up in a dull, dry routine of going through the motions at church. Yeah, you show up. You sing. But your sacrifice of praise is not your best. You end up thinking that making money is more important than serving God. And so you'll do whatever it takes to get money and you hold on to it so tight because you don't believe that God will supply all your needs because you've forgotten the word of God. And when suffering comes, you start to think that God doesn't love you anymore or that he's just mean. So what's the application for us? Many of us need to reaffirm in our hearts. Some of us need to affirm it for the first time. That God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is important. You know, know, some people read it, but they don't submit to it. Why? Because they don't trust it. If you trusted it, you would submit to it. We need to believe it's trustworthy, and we need to do what we can to remember it. How do we remember things? We spend a lot of time with it, right? Uh, A lot of the teens have been studying for BGCSEs and BJCs and SATs and all other kind of E's. And how do you study for those things? You just read over your notes once, and and you walk into the exam and say, all right, straight A's, here I come. Right? Right, Demi? Yep, Demi agrees. Of course not. They've got to go over their notes and get into their notes and study them so that they can know what is in them. We interact with it constantly. Go over it in your mind. It's going to be the same way with the Word of God. We wake up every day and let God speak to us through His Word because we believe it is Him speaking to us. 
And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or 20 years or 10 years or two years, you need to remember the Word of God. When Pastor Lee and I were in the airport on Monday, uh, we were at the place where you go through immigration, and we were standing in line getting ready to go through immigration. And, uh, you know, they have offices back there. And we walked past one of the offices, and the door was open. And Pastor Lee looked on the floor, and, and the first thing he said was, boy, they got some cheap carpet, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I died. I cracked up. Because some, most, most of you know, some of you don't know, that Pastor Lee was in the carpet business for many years before, you know, even while he was a pastor, he was still running a carpet business. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, boy, that's some cheap carpet. <laughs> and I, I, I laughed for a good five minutes after that because I just thought that was so funny. And we, we had a long conversation about carpet and all the carpet in the airport and, and how, you can tell, how you can tell when carpet's been neglected and, and how to install carpet. And uh, I learned more about carpet than I ever, <laughs> than I ever knew. Uh, <laughs> but how could Pastor Lee look at carpet? How long has he been the pastor here? 17 years? Something like that? He hasn't been doing carpet in 17 years. How could he look at carpet and know what is good quality carpet? Because when he was doing carpet, he handled it a lot. He could tell the difference between good carpet, bad carpet, he remembered, even after 17 years, he remembered because of how much he handled carpet and worked with it. He didn't have a casual relationship with what he was working with. And that's how it should be with us, right? We should be so familiar with God's word that we can look at any situation and be able to know what God has said about that and how we should respond to that situation. Because we have been familiar with God's word and we remember it. We have chosen to trust it. But what if we don't remember? What would happen to the Jews if they chose not to remember God's word? God tells them. Notice uh, in verse 4 that Malachi mentions Moses and describes him as a servant. Now, we also know that Moses had, had a bit of a temper, right? Uh, if you murder someone, you need therapy, more than likely. We'd probably put Moses into anger management today. You know, he murdered the Egyptian. He destroyed the Ten Commandments. He struck the rock. Um, but we're also told, the Bible also says that Moses was the most humble man on the planet. We like to deal with humble people, right? Moses was a servant. Um, humble people, they're gentle. They don't, they don't judge us. They give us second and third and fourth chances. Um, but God says that if they can't handle the law of Moses, if they can't follow in Moses' humble pattern of service, what's going to happen? He is going to send Elijah. Right? It's like, uh, maybe mommy can't handle you, but you wait till daddy gets home. 
something bad's going to happen. What do we know about Elijah? Uh, he was a bit sarcastic, right? The prophets of Baal, he, he told them their God was probably uh, on the toilet somewhere. Uh, that's what he said. He had, the, he had the power to call down fire from heaven. He called fire down from heaven on the altar. You want to read a fun story? Uh, check out 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah calls down fire from heaven on uh, two different sets of 50 soldiers who had come to ask him a question. Uh, the man didn't play. He was like the Jack Bauer of the prophets. He was a serious dude. He was a man's man. He was hardcore. And so God says, I'm going to send you Elijah. How do you like that? And sometimes we need that Elijah, don't we? Sometimes we need it because we are just not getting it with the soft and gentle and uh, go take a time out and sit in the corner and think about what you've done, right? Sometimes, sometimes we need someone to be bold and blunt and to confront us with the word of God about our sin. And it may seem harsh, but that type of confrontation is the only thing that is going to shake us up enough to, to wake us up and, and take our sins seriously and to return to the Word of God and remember it and make it a priority again. But we got a problem, right? Because Elijah's dead. That's a bit of a problem. So who is this new guy? Who is this Elijah that God is going to send? This is where it gets interesting because uh, we see God not only focusing on the word and revelation that he's already given, but we see him uh, making prophecies about the future. In his last words to these people before the next prophet, he is making a prophecy. He reminds the people that he has big plans for them. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You see the angel Gabriel talking to John the Baptist's parents in reference to John the Baptist. He says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of... Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like what we just read, huh? And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11 identifies John the Baptist as the Elijah that was to come. if the people would have accepted him. What was John's message? Repent! Stop sinning! Right? 
John, John was a rough dude. He lived out in the wilderness. He wore animal skins. He ate bugs. I'd be cranky too. <laughs> Repent. He told the king, King Herod, he's like, you need to stop sleeping with your brother's wife. You cannot marry her. He was not shy. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Because the people needed, they needed a wake-up call. And sometimes we need that wake-up call. All of what John the Baptist was doing was preparing the people for the entrance of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So we see a link in this passage in Malachi to the Elijah, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You can find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. So just as God is about to seemingly go dark, right? Drop off the radar, drop off the grid. He lets us know that his plan that started way back in Genesis is still in motion. But this Elijah in this passage also has a specific mission. Before Jesus returns, he says, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What's his mission? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And if God doesn't send him to do that because these people have forgotten the word of God, if God doesn't send them to do that, he was going to wipe the people off the face of the earth. Why? Because God knows that a breakdown in the family will lead to a breakdown in the country. And God will have no place there. The condition of the family in Israel was bad. The fathers seemingly had wrapped up, they were wrapped up in their own lives and neglecting uh, the hearts of their children. And in response, the children had found other things, other places to find support and value that their fathers were supposed to give them. We see it today. We see the fathers, uh, many fathers' hearts are turned toward their work, uh, turned toward his recreation, his cars, his boats, his sports. It's turned toward his friends, turned toward his reputation, or even turned toward his own bitterness. That bitterness, that inward focus, that turning in on yourself. He's turned his heart toward himself. And the son or daughter has to turn away. So we see the father's heart is not facing the child. The child's heart says, I'm not getting it from there, so I'm turning away too. I got to find something else.
so that the child gets in with the wrong friends or they bury themselves in uh, video games or TV or music or sports. Because the relationship isn't there with the person that they need most. And what happens when both hearts are facing in the opposite direction? Lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. There's a wave of destruction that happens, not only in the country, but in the family when the hearts of the fathers are turned away from their children. I find it interesting that this text comes up. I did not choose this text. This just happens to be where we fell. This text comes up just as we are getting ready to have a father-son retreat in a couple of weeks. So I know that God is trying to talk to somebody. So maybe you'll feel the urge to sign up for the retreat. Uh, today. Forms are in my door. So the father's heart must turn. And this word turn here in the Hebrew carries the idea of repentance. It carries the idea of needing to be converted. You need to have a conversion experience toward your child. You have to do more than simply provide for the physical needs because so many men think that's all they have to do. They have food on the table. That's my job. Your job is much more. You must provide for their emotional needs by expressing masculine affection. And you must take care of their spiritual needs by bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord got to stop sitting on the sidelines and letting all the women do all the heavy lifting. I can give you story after story of young men in this church whose fathers have had little to no interaction in their life and how that devastation, that destruction has shaped the heart of that young man. These young men, they just, even the young women too, they just cannot grasp spiritual things. They're entangled in sins that they just can't get out of. And I just see a huge difference. I can look at a young man who's, who I know his father is involved in his life, and I just see a difference between that and the young man whose father isn't there, whose heart is turned towards something else. And I don't think it's insignificant that the first person who must turn that they mention is the father. God has given the father the special place of leadership in the home. But that can quickly deteriorate, right? A man can say, oh, I'm a man. You got to do what I say. That's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 express, expressly addresses the fathers. It says, fathers, do not 
provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Other translations say, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Fathers have a special ability to do that, it seems. You, the father is not supposed to be the big boss man who just tells everybody what to do, whether they like it or not. The father is not supposed to use their authority to manipulate the child to get what you want. Your teenager has to understand that, that your heart is toward them. And then they will be able to take instruction. In our Sunday school classes the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking about parent and teen relationships and trying to t- figure out how parents and teens can communicate better. Uh, and the teens had a few good suggestions for how parents cannot exasperate their child. Um, we did this thing where we put them in groups and we gave them, uh, come up with a list of five ways that a parent can communicate better with a teenager. All right? And on number one on every list, on, in every group, what, what do you think it was? Listen. The teenagers want you to listen to them. This, may, this means you don't automatically jump to conclusions. No. They want you to trust them. They want you to be reasonable. They want you to, they, they don't want like, because your friend Sally is getting straight A's, then you have to get straight A's, right? The comparison thing hurts because your brother or your sister is doing well, you have to be doing the exact same uh, standard. The comparison is a struggle for the team. They want you to be respectful and not treat them like ignorant, stupid children. And they want you to be consistent. But it's a two-way street, right? The father must turn to the child, but the child also has to turn to the father. I think uh, a great lesson from Malachi for, for a teenager is to take responsibility for your actions when you mess up. They're your parents. They're going to love you. Don't run from it. That's only going to frustrate them more. When you sit there and deny everything that you're doing, and you know you're doing it, but you come up with some loophole to get out of it. Uh huh. Take responsibility for it. Um, talk to your parents. Some of you refuse to talk to your parents. You live in your own world. Um, when you do talk to them, lose the sarcasm. That doesn't work. That doesn't help. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, be respectful. These, and these are suggestions that the teens came up with uh, for how a teen can communicate better with their parent. What does a teen need to do to improve communication? The teen said, uh, we need to talk to them. We need to not be sarcastic. Uh, We need to be respectful. 
uh, one person said, we need to think of them as people and not unknowledgeable parents. <laughs> uh, yeah. They also said they need to trust. So parents, be trustworthy. Be consistent. Make sure your child knows that your heart is turned toward them. We know, we see the situation. Uh, the hearts are, are turned away from each other. And we know that it is impossible to be in fellowship with God when, when we hate someone else. First John teaches us that clearly. Uh, and God desires for there to be a love in the family with the parents and the children's hearts facing toward each other. And, and I know that there are some people who, who, who think I have no right to tell them uh, how to parent their child because I don't have any kids, and you're right, okay? I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm just telling you what God told his people. And that even God's chosen people needed to have their hearts turned or face destruction. So a couple of questions of application. Um, do your children know that your heart is toward them? I don't mean are you keeping them under control and providing financially for them. I mean, do they know that there is nothing more important to you and your family? And that the father can express masculine affection? Teens, is your heart towards your parents? Or do you just wear them out? Whenever they ask you to do something, no, I don't want to do that. Always finding an excuse to do other things. Always denying the things that they're asking you about. God said, even God said to the Jews earlier in Malachi, he said, you have wearied me with your words. If you can wear out God, what do you think your parents feel like? Finally, what idols have we set up in our lives that we have allowed to capture our hearts? To turn us away from the people we're supposed to love is going to lead to destruction in our family and in our country. But here's the good part. The Elijah that was promised came, and he came to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ. We do not need to face destruction. We do not need to face judgment and punishment. Jesus took all of our judgment, all of our punishment, all of our destruction. He took that on the cross. All of our sin, our failures, even with our families, our greed, our lust. And he paid the price for them all on the cross. The Son of God 
who was born and died and rose again from death was Jesus. And Jesus' heart was turned toward his Father. It was fixed on his Father in love and trust and fellowship. The Father's heart was fixed on his Son, which allowed Jesus to carry out his mission of dying for the sins of the world and saving those who would put faith in him. You can do that today. You can put your faith in him and what he has done on the cross. Some of you, some of you have been hiding spiritually, not wanting anyone to see where you're really at, to see where you struggle. May this be the day that you allow your heart to be known by God. May you be known and loved by not only your parents, but by God. He has done everything he can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of where our hearts should be, that we need to be loving each other before we can claim to love you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness today. None of us have given your word the priority it fully deserves in our life. Father, may we remember your word, that it is from you, that it is your best for us, that you are our Father, that your heart is toward us. And the commands that you give us are because you love us. Father, I pray for those teens who, who have strained relationships with their parents, particularly their fathers. Lord, I pray that, you would not turn, that, that their heart would not turn away and find other things that are only going to destroy them. Lord, I pray for the fathers, that they would have the courage to let go of any, anything that may have captured their affection more than their child or more than you. Lord, we thank you for your word once again. Lord, give us the courage to change. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and how you loved him perfectly, and that now he loves us perfectly. In Jesus' name.